Do please be seated and turn to the Bibles. There's two readings today. The first is from Jeremiah 31. You'll find that on page 793. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, on page 793. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now if you'd like to keep your finger or a piece of paper in that uh, reading as you turn to the second reading, which is Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 24. That's on page 868. That's Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people. And I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we've just sung of your Spirit's work to transform us into the person of Christ. And we do pray, Father, that he would be at work now as we hear your word declared to us so that we may worship the Lord Jesus more and more and reflect him in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, you may remember last week, Leon described the passage we looked at as a plane crash. Well, if last week was the plane crash, well, this week, uh, the medical team have arrived at the scene of the accident. Because here we're asking the question, what can be done in the face of the failure we've just seen? See, um, the project, Keep God's Word, hasn't gone very well, has it? Uh, Remember back in uh, Eden, Adam was told to guard the Word, and yet this serpent came along, and it meant they rejected God's Word. And remember, Israel, Moses said to Israel, here is God's Word. Uh, Israel were meant to be a place of God's Word in the world, and yet, what happened? Well, we saw last week, didn't we? They did not listen. They put their fingers in their ears and chose to listen to other words rather than their gods. And to be honest, if God were just to try again, well, we know from our own hearts that actually the story wouldn't be much different. So the question is, what does God do? I mean, he's tried so many times to give his word, but every time he has, it's been rejected. What does God now do? Well, like any medical team that arrives um, at a scene of an accident, uh, I guess that, um, well, I know rather, they they break up the task into stages. Uh, And and we're going to do that as we look at this passage. We're going to look at the diagnosis, what's the problem here. Secondly, we're going to look at the treatment. Um, Thirdly, we're going to look at the surgeon, or who's given the treatment. And then we're going to look at the result the diagnosis, the treatment, the surgeon, and the outcome. See, first of all, the diagnosis. What's the problem here? As they arrive at the scene of this crash, what is it that's actually gone wrong? Well, we see in our passage in Jeremiah, if you've um, gone to Ezekiel, just pop back to Jeremiah uh, on page 792, or 793 rather, We get this word covenant pop up several times. Look at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And verse 32, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. And verse 33, this is the covenant I will make. See, um, God reminds them that they were in a covenant relationship. See, God wasn't just a Facebook friend of his people Israel. He was in a formal committed relationship. God, if you like, stood at the front of the church with his people and declared his commitment to them, and Israel declared their commitment back. And yet, here's where they are, verse um, uh, verse, uh, 32. He says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. See, God declared his love for his people. Instead of a wedding ring, it was two stone tablets. And yet, his people didn't listen, and they broke uh, their promise to him. See, the covenant came with all sorts of terms and conditions, as any sort of important agreement does today. And and you get a sense of this in chapter 11, where you see that Jeremiah's ministry is to remind the people of the covenant they've entered into. 
Uh, Here's what Jeremiah says in chapter 11. The Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. For the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again saying, obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. See, here's the big disaster Here's what's caused the crash. They will not listen to the covenant. See, sin is so much greater, isn't it, than than just we're not quite perfect. Sin isn't that God sets the bar at 100% and we get to kind of 90%. See, sin is far deeper than that. It is a fundamental disposition that works against God's word instead of keeping it. And it makes for an impossible situation because even if God were to speak a good word, well, we wouldn't do it. Remember, Adam, it was crazy, wasn't it? He was in Eden. He had all the trees of the garden to enjoy. He was only told not to eat from one. And what did he do? Well, he ate from one. Israel were brought into a land of milk and honey. They had God, of all people, Uh, on their side. And what did they do? Well, they rejected his word at every moment. And that leaves us at a bit of a dilemma at the end of the Old Testament, because if God were just to say, keep my word again, well, it wouldn't change anything. See, we're, you know, we share that history with Adam, with Israel. God cannot just say, well, keep, um, keep doing the right thing because we would not obey. See, it's got like that, I don't know if you've ever come across those sort of very sad friendships where things have broken down so much that even if one of the parties in our friendship does something kind, the motives are kind of twisted. And it's kind of like that for Israel. The moment God says something, they do the opposite. The moment God speaks, they don't listen. Now, I wonder what you would do in that situation. You've committed yourself to your people. They've rejected you time and time again. What, is, what would you do? Well, let's look at what God does. See, he prescribes a different treatment. See, um, to break a covenant in the ancient world was like unthinkable. Covenants were made between all sorts of different people, kings often, and um, they would put in all these kind of curses if you break this covenant these terrible things would happen to you. Not because people thought, well, that sounds like a good idea, but because it was so unthinkable to break a covenant. And yet, his people had done exactly that. So what does God do? Well, look at verse 31. God says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And you think to yourself, sorry, what? I will make a new covenant. See, God rips up the divorce papers. He turns aside from the curses that would uh, understandably come. And he declares that he's going to remarry his people. But this time it's different. There's one big difference. Look at verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And I will write it 
on their hearts. See, back in um, when the covenant with Moses was made, um, it was cut on two stone tablets. In fact, the, the word in Hebrew to make a covenant is to cut a covenant. And it was inscribed on the two stone tablets. But this time it's different. Notice where this covenant's going. Do you see verse 33? I will put my law on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. Not going to cut a stone. He's going to cut his people's hearts. And have a look at Ezekiel. Um, If you've kept your bit of paper uh, in place, here's your reward, uh, because you could turn it very easily. If you haven't, no worries. It's on page 868. Because look at what God says he's going to do here. Chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you see the difference here? This is not just kind of Moses 2.0. This is not God saying, look, let's have another go of it. Let's run the experiment again and see if it works. No, this is God doing something fundamentally different, inscribing his law on his people's hearts. See, a heart transplant, um, apologies if you've had one, and um, I'm slightly insensitive talking about this, but a heart transplant is a pretty serious operation, isn't it? I hope that's uncontroversial. Um, I had a look um, into heart transplants, and um, not because I'm planning one, hopefully, but uh, here's what's said uh, on the NHS website. A heart transplant is an operation to replace a damaged or failing heart with a healthy heart from a donor who's recently died. It may be recommended when a person's life is at risk because their heart no longer works effectively. See, it's a serious operation, isn't it? It's when someone's life is at risk when our heart is on its last legs. And that is exactly where Israel and all God's people find themselves. Their heart does not function. It is a heart of stone. And just like the medical procedure, there's only one option, isn't there? To replace that heart. And that is exactly what God does. He does the spiritual equivalent of of a heart transplant and changes his people. Notice um, on the third point here, who's doing this work? See, um, have a look at um, um, what's said in verse 24. Notice who's doing it, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you. Do you notice? Pretty obvious, isn't it? I will. I will. I will. See, it's not the people. It's not God saying, come on, do your best, and the people saying, okay, we will. This is God putting on the scrubs, getting into the operating theater, putting these people on the table, and giving them a transplant. In verse 27, we're told how this is going to happen. Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you, and move you to follow my decrees. See, God's spirit is going to come into his people's hearts. 
Now, the Spirit, you'll know, is um, uh, there at these points where there's creation work that, um, that happens. Uh, the Spirit was there right at the beginning of creation. God's Spirit hovered over the waters. And then when Adam was brought to life, how did, was he brought to life? Well, God breathed his Spirit into him. And now God's doing that work again with all his people. He will once again breathe his Spirit and change their hearts so that they will obey him. See, I was getting quite obsessed with heart transplants um, researching for this sermon, and they're pretty amazing. Um, hats off to anyone who uh, d- to d- does them, because um, I didn't realize how recent they were. They, uh, they tried to do some in the 60s, and um, patients didn't survive. Uh, and it was only until the 1980s where um, immune, uh, the, I can't say the word, suppressant uh, medication was, uh, d- was improved that uh, they were able uh, to, to carry out this surgery. But the, as amazing as that is, there is one type of surgery that no surgeon can ever do. And it's this type of surgery to change our whole desire to love God and love his word. See, the incredible thing is that that day, as we've come to see, has come in the Lord Jesus. And that means that if we now love God and have any inclination to his word, well, it is because his spirit is at work in us. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except, except by the Holy Spirit. See, it's not from us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you can get in this mindset that God said his word, and I've got to muster up all my effort to do it. But actually, it is one way. It is God's work in us. And it also means that there's no boast. There's no sense of which, well, we've worked out God's word, and everyone else has got it wrong. See, it's only his mercy and grace that has changed us. I mean, I guess if you had a heart transplant, you you wouldn't be going around going, well, I sorted my own heart out. You'll be extremely thankful for the surgeon, extremely thankful for the donor, I'm sure. And it should be the same with God because he has transplanted our hearts by his spirit. Now, why does God go to these lamps? Yes, he's gracious, but what else is going on here? Well, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 31 for me because I want us to see what the result is of all this. Why God goes to these lamps It's on page 793. Uh, And look at page, uh, look at verse 34. Oh, sorry, verse 33, rather. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. See, this surgery, this transplant, you'll see has got a purpose, isn't it? God writes his law on our hearts so that we might know him. And, you know, we've said this before over the weeks, that knowing doesn't, there doesn't mean knowing about God. It doesn't just mean passing a test on 
who God is, but it means a personal knowledge, like the way you would know a friend as you spend time with them, or like the way you might say, I've, I've, I've known so much about my partner, having spent decades with them. And here's what's going on. God is going to transform his people's hearts so that they know him personally like that, that they are friends with him, and they'll know that. See, here's the whole point. Salvation here isn't just a kind of end in itself. It's not just, well, get out of judgment free. God's purpose here always is to forgive his people, to transform them so that they may know him like we may know a friend. You often hear that, don't you, when major operations like heart transplants take place. Um, whenever I've spoken to a doctor or a surgeon, uh, they've said to me, it's, um, they, they've always talked about the patient and the, and the standard of life they've got after uh, the major operation. You know, the, the, the heart transplant itself is pretty impressive, isn't it? But it's not fundamentally the heart transplant that makes it worthwhile. It's people being able to spend more time or having a new lease of life that people focus on. And that's absolutely right. And, and here, something similar is going on. It's not that God saves us into a spiritual no-man's land. He transforms us so that we may know him and enjoy him forever. See, here is the whole purpose of God's project, if you like, to, to keep his word. It's not a burden. It's not a set of rules to keep. It is so that we may delight in him, so may know him. It was the purpose of Adam in the garden. It wasn't a test in, in the sense of trying to sort of catch him out. It was there so he may know God and know his character. The same with Israel. It wasn't a kind of list of Ten Commandments just to make them feel terrible about themselves. It was so that they would know God's character and reflect that with one another. And here is the same. God will transform his people so they may delight in him, may know him personally. And as I hinted at earlier, the wonderful truth for the New Testament is that that day has come in the Lord Jesus. See, Jesus came, God, to his people to do this personal surgery on their hearts. But of course, it wasn't just their hearts that changed. It was his own as he poured out his heart to death on a cross. And as Jesus did, he not only forgave us for our sins, but made the way for the Spirit to come to change his people, to love him and know his word. Here's what Jesus says the night before his death. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And here's what Paul says in Galatians. We looked at this last term. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature were not gods, but now you know God, or rather are known by God. See, here's the thing. The moment Jesus came, the moment he died, he rose, was an era-defining moment. Because no longer do we follow some external law or try and muster up the effort ourselves to try and keep God's word. But we are transformed within by his death, by his spirit. And we are free, therefore, as a community, 
to know God for who He is, not as a burden, not as a rule-keeping thing, not as a, as, with any sense of, um, of guilt, but just to know Him for who He is. See, there's a diagnosis. It's a broken covenant. What's the treatment? Well, God gives a heart transplant. Who's doing the treatment? It's God Himself. And here's the outcome, that people like you and me may know God personally. Now, what is it we're to do with that? Well, I was scratching my head on this one, just like Leon was last week, because in one sense, to tell you to do a load of stuff would run quite against the grain of this passage, a passage where God is saying, I will do it. I will intervene personally. But I guess the very fact that God will do it should shape the way we see our part in this. I mean, I guess in our own lives, where do we look for hope? that we might change. I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for kind of um, productivity uh, stuff and kind of putting in plans to sort out my life. And uh, it never works, but I always think it will and buy the book. And uh, yeah, I'm still procrastinating uh, many, time, uh, many months later. And I don't know about you, but maybe you think to yourself, well, if I just go, if I just put this program into place, if, if I just try a little bit harder, well, then I will change. And, you know, there's a place for that. But ultimately, it is God's Spirit that is at work in us, that changes us. And I guess as a church, again, I've come as a new rector, and I'm thinking up all these kind of two, three, five-year plans and recruitment and all that, and, and how we change and how we uh, greater reach our community around us. And, you know, there's a place for that. But, of course, the thing that will change us fundamentally is that God's Spirit works in us and works through us. Uh, it's surprising, isn't it? When you look at, well, not surprising, when you look at the New Testament and you see Paul praying time and time again for the churches that they may be filled with the fullness of God. Yes, he tells them. Yes, he gives the word, but he's on his knees as well, praying that they might be transformed by God's Spirit. And I guess this shapes the view of others around us, doesn't it? I mean, if we truly believe that actually it is through God's Spirit that hearts are changed, well, I guess our prayer life would be transformed, wouldn't it? I guess it would change our attitude to people around us. No one's beyond the grace of God. See, God can work because God is the only one who can work to keep His Word. We've seen, haven't we, wonderfully, the diagnosis, the treatment, the surgeon, and the result. And through the coming of Jesus and his death, we, as his people, delight in knowing him. So let's pray. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. How we praise you, our Father, that you did not turn your back on your people, even though they turned their back on you. And we praise you, Father, for this promise of an internal transformation. And we pray, Father, that we would be a church that delights in that gracious work by you, through your Spirit, And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.